Hello friends and welcome to the latest episode of Inside Success. In this episode, I'm joined by Christian Hughes, the CEO of My People Group. In my day job as a managing director of a recruitment company, I'm always looking for new ideas and innovations on how to connect people better and enable hiring managers and the candidate a much better experience by matching them not just by their CV, but also their personality. I really enjoy speaking to Christian about his earlier career and how his journey led him to where he is now as the CEO of My People Group. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Oh, and just a side note, for some reason throughout this episode, I have a ridiculous laugh, which as people may or may not know me, I don't do in real life. So I have no idea where it came from. And also a slight warning if you're watching this on YouTube, there is dancing by Christian. You have been warned. Enjoy. We actually are in a room with no windows mm-hmm. and it does look like a police interrogation situation. What mm-hmm. crime would you have done? Let's put it that way for why we're here. I think the most recent crime I've done <laughs> <laughs> was a tinsy wincy bit of speeding. I don't want to admit to anything on camera, but uh, uh, let's just say it was a clear road. <laughs> okay. I was late. Did you get caught? Got flashed. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I got. I probably I, wasn't speeding. I mean, I didn't look at the speedo. Yeah, I'm a very I, sensible driver. I, I got done at 59 in a 50 because I was looking at the sign ahead, which said 60. So I sped up to the sign and that's my own fault. So that's where I got my driver's... Did you, did you know? What did you get? Three points? No, no, I did the driver's awareness. Oh, driver's awareness. Are you more aware of drives now? Do you know what? Asphalt and... Do you know what? I think that every driver should probably do it every two years. Personally. This is what my wife said. She said it was actually really good. What, she done it four times now? She collect, collects <laughs> them. It's like Pokemon cards with her. So, before we get into the present... Let's get to know you a little bit more. So I've okay. done a very quick fire round, so it's just as it comes to your heads. So get to know your guest. Here we go. Favourite TV show as a child? And I say quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> when was I a child? That's a long time ago. I loved Airwolf. That was quality. Good, good programme. First song you danced to? Probably Aha, Take On Me, classic. That is a classic, that's a very classic. So we all begin to understand your... Yeah, era. Yeah, the early 2000s. <laughs> um, your Guilty Pleasure song. Oof. <laughs> I mean, how guilty. My ab- uh, as far as you want to go to admit in life oh, yeah. and tell humans. I quite like Shania Twain, Feel Like a Woman. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, wait. Okay. Let's discuss. Yeah, so, so I mean, the operation's been a success. Okay. Is it the line, man, I feel like a woman? Is that the piece you quite like? No, I was really labouring on the word guilty when you said no, no, guilty no, no, pleasure no, 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 rather no, no. than the pleasure aspect so of the song. So is it a karaoke song for you as well? Or not? Well, if I was going karaoke, it would be Purple Rain by Prince, uh, which I've performed on a number of occasions, uh, not most recently in 2019 in Tokyo, in a karaoke bar. Uh, absolutely cleared the room. Everyone left... That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty bad. I'm pretty bad at singing. Yeah, but it's, it's, what I like is, are you a committed karaoke singer? That's the only way to do karaoke, in my opinion. Yeah. You go all in, or you don't bother. I got I got banned from karaoke in our local pub for doing um, "Rabbit Rabbit" by Chaz and Dave, and you can't really mess it up because only two words. I was about to say it's not a, a hugely <laughs> lyrically diverse song, is it? It's quite narrow. It is quite narrow, but they still didn't quite like it. Anyway, yeah. it's about you, not me. Favourite favorite family holiday destination? Ooh, probably Amalfi Coast in Italy. And why? Any particular reason? Just uh, spaghetti vongole, Fiano wine, amazing views. I mean, I don't really know where my kids are me. in this story, but <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, they're just having a great time okay, somewhere. Okay. Next one. Would you rather have telekinesis, so just for those who don't know what it is, is the ability to move things with your mind, or telepathy? The ability to read minds. I like to think I have telepathy already, so I'll go the first one, which I won't try and pronounce. <laughs> Tele- telekinesis. I had to practice that three times this yeah, morning. I felt like you'd. You, this was not the first time you said that. No, because when I said this one, it sounded more like a Greek island. Yeah, 
I presume you were doing it in the shower this morning and everyone around you was thinking, what the hell is happening to Paul? He keeps well, they, saying... They, they think I'm having a mental breakdown. Yeah. Anyway, when I'm telling people I'm doing podcasts, they think I've had a breakdown and this is just an extension of the midlife crisis. It's There's got to be one of the first steps, isn't it? Selling telekinesis in a shower, <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> okay, and then the next one, would you... This is a good one, actually. Would you rather have everyone you know to be able to read your thoughts uh-huh. or for everyone you know to have access to your internet history? My internet history is pretty decent. Uh, <laughs> so I'd say, know the internet history, know the person. So go with that. Wow, okay. Favourite quote? Oh, crikey. Are we, uh, in swe- are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Can Good. Say, that helps. Yes. I've got a potty mouth. Oh, God, I couldn't come up with anything. I'm probably going to use a quote that you'll use, but it, it's been taken 10 years to be an overnight success was a quote by Beyonce. That's yeah. top of mind. I'm sure I could come up with something better. So, so far we've gone with Aha. Uh-huh. Purple Rain. Yes. Shania Twain. Yes. And Beyonce. So Shania Twain looks more like an outlier now. So, no, no, it's quite, it's quite nice. We're actually getting a, a, a true understanding of Christian shoes. One of the things I like to believe I'm good at, which no one else does, is dancing. Uh, and I am a big fan of the, the lobster, or the crab, as it's known in my household. And if you have those, any of those songs playing, those are perfect crab manoeuvring. Yeah, and obviously we are filming this, so this is now very Crabs. much uh, on YouTube forever. Good. Good. So, that's, uh, what I, that's what I'd want with this. The crab yeah, is important. <laughs> Well, for the, for the final outro, you, you can, um, we'll find the song yeah. and you can dance yeah. about if you yeah. wish. No, that's great. That's exactly And the last want. one to stop uh, embarrassing you and going through your <laughs> Spotify playlist any further. Um, if a movie was made about your life, mm-hmm. who would play you and why? God, I suppose the temptation is to try and come up with someone really intelligent and better looking than me. But is that possible? <laughs> I really like the idea. I mean, again, this is not really culturally appropriate, but Morgan Freeman, I think. I just think he embodies a sort of... He always plays those characters that are wise, and I, I like the idea of being wise on camera, which I obviously like this will not be today. I wasn't expecting Morgan Freeman, no. so I like that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Or that guy who played Darth Vader, he's really tall. So we're going for height... Well, I'm really, I mean, you could have Andre the Giant, really. Andre the Giant would be but quite strong features. I don't know whether I'd like to be represented <laughs> in that way. Wow, we've really... What about yeah. Richard? Is it Richard Briel who played Jaws yeah. in Bond? I was thinking about Richard Gere. Richard, well, he's got grey hair. I mean, he probably doesn't come off on camera, but I've got a tiny bit of grey hair coming through. A little bit, mate. Uh, it's, it's actually the lighting today. It is. Yeah. Well, we should probably actually mention how I know you. So, um, I was at a TRN event, which is the recruitment network. Um, what, do you, what do you class it as? They class it as a retreat. I think of it more as just a bunch of people together getting pissed and probably moaning about their industry. Oh, I thought it was a self-help group. <laughs> is, it, is it not? That's why I go. So I'll, I'll give James and Gordon the due. It's uh, it is a very good network, and um, without them, I wouldn't have had the privilege of having a hangover and then listening to yourself um, discuss uh, what we would talk about later, which is obviously your 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 business and how it works. And um, I don't know how you found the event, but you probably sat there going "kill me now" at certain points. Well, depending on which one, because one of them I had to give four. Cranky, just. <laughs> Sorry for any of the people. <laughs> that was a chair. Anyone that's my chair breaking. Um, depending on which one, because there's been a couple I've been at, and there was one I did four talks in 24 hours. And the wow. first two were fine, and they were sort of 40-minute talks. But the, the latter two uh, were day two after a significant uh, alcohol intake. And uh, they I were, was on day two. Those were harder. They were harder sales. <laughs> they had to commit hard to those ones. And, uh, yeah, and I think, obviously, people talking to your face after is going, hello, I'm really interested, and you're going... Please walk away. Yes, I am about to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah, okay. So that's how we know each other. And um, so further on that, I've obviously made contact. We discussed your product. And then I put you through the mill with my mm. two bulldogs, mm-hmm. which is uh, Adam Gibson of 17 Oranges. Adam, hello. Uh, who obviously is a advisor to ourselves on everything recruitment technology. And then uh, Mark Davis, who's obviously from Seven Futures, mm-hmm. who I trust with views on um, behavioural safety, personal resilience, and everything psychology-based. Mm-hmm. 
And you actually passed both. Did I really? Yeah. God, it cost me a lot of money as well. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Adam especially. Adam, yeah, Adam. <laughs> Adam's a special case. Yeah, Adam's a special case. A huge amount of money and in a bag as well. I didn't, <laughs> didn't know that was still the, the way to do it. Yeah, and it was all clean notes. Yeah, not uh, sequential. Not yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So that's how we know each other, and um, I thought it was a really interesting uh, piece of kit, which we'll talk about later. Could you introduce yourself and talk about everything from a working point of view to up to the point of my people? Um, perhaps I'll start by giving a brief summary of what I do and then talk a little bit about the trajectory, uh, if you can call it that. Um, but I have a background in psychology and data and I, work in, I worked in elite sport, working with elite sporting teams from uh, pretty much every part of uh, GB sport now, from cycling through to rowing through to rugby, um, most recently with the likes of Saracens um, and teams from the British and Irish Lions. And I have a background in psychology and data, which means they're quite rare bedfellows. If you are a psychologist, you tend to follow theory uh, and applied psychology tends to be in business and, and sporting terms, much more about um, the idea of how people relate. Whereas data is much more empirical and what you're trying to drive out of data is insights that you can take decisions from. And in sport, there has been a proliferation of those two, a combination of those two coming together and a proliferation of data impacting how you select an athlete and how you develop an athlete. So if we take a sport that we're both familiar with, uh, and I will get back to uh, me in a second, but I just want to share, <laughs> man. Uh, I must not touch anything. Um, I believe you're a football supporter. Um, yes, I am a football fan. And is there a particular team you follow? Uh, Arsenal. I thought it was Arsenal. Uh, so... Nowadays, if we took, say, Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, mm -hmm. there are a team of people, um, you can see them live at the ground, and they'll be working behind the scenes, who analyse every single game, and they join that data up, so that what actually happens in a game, to a tactical model, and mm -hmm. then when they're selecting new players, and looking at the youth academy players, they're starting to train and develop those players, so that they fit the way that Mikel Arteta wants to play. Yeah. And in the olden days, that would have been you know, a bunch of coaches shouting at people. Now it's very, very scientific. And that extends all the way through to selecting players outside of the club. Uh, and it's now become a huge industry. And so when I first got involved in this industry, I, it was a bit of luck, really. I, my first job was in recruitment. Um, oh, now I understand why you're full of shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> trained me in the necessity to present a good story. <laughs> or what now did you I'm call it? Standing. full of shit, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I did that in London for about two years. I was quite young when I started, probably about 17. Okay, um, so was that your first job? Yeah, pretty much. What did you do before that out of interest? Uh, I had jobs from like 13, but uh, I finished my A-levels. I was taking a year out to go to university and I was going to study psychology. I took a year out to earn some money uh, and then got used to earning some money because back then you could earn money in recruitment. I'm sure now it's just oh, no, we're like, very we're, difficult. We're like taxi drivers in London. We're very poor and we have nothing. Yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. Changed. Horrible, horrible Horrible scenario. Horrible, horrible, yeah. horrible. Well, I mean... I Look at us, we can't even afford windows. No windows. Uh, <laughs> air conditioning is reduced to just a, a group of people blowing it, it, towards it, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's how we got. So that was my first job. Uh, and what I didn't market, go... What market were you in? IT. What particular market? Just to boil it backwards. Oh, uh, I want to say, and is this a technology visual basic? Yeah, yeah. I think I was recruiting visual basic developers yeah, for banks. Right. Yeah, uh, okay. I think I did all right. I wasn't very good at it, but I did all right. My interest, though, almost got in the way in those days because it was much more of a body. You know, it was going to the fax machine and sending 10 faxes of CVs. Yeah. It was much more body-orientated rather than the psychology of whether someone was going to do well in a job or not. So I, I was kind of very interested in sport, and yeah. uh, a friend of mine had got involved in sport and said, why don't you come and do a bit of work with us? And that just led to more work, and so eventually I was able to become a consultant and just start working with multiple teams. And that was my journey for, for a long period of time. And the bit that I was specifically involved, which relates back to recruitment and, and my people when we get onto that, is about environment. Now, I guess this, to me, I think this is one of the most fascinating topics. When you, if we relate it back to, say, football, mm -hmm. when you think of a player, uh, and this equates to, to business in terms of skills and experience, we almost exclusively think about at an interview, can someone do a job? Are they competent to do the job? And that's what we base our interview around, whether we realise we're doing it or not. We're thinking 
That's the question we're answering. The question we should be asking is, how will they perform in my environment? And the two interrelate. So if someone is not competent, i.e. they have not got the skills to do a job, yeah. how they perform in an environment is going to probably be hard, bad, is the answer. <laughs> However, let's assume there's two candidates that have uh, the experience and knowledge to be able to do the job. The next question is, how do they perform in my environment? And that's critical because you see this in sport where you have someone who's a fantastic prospect and then mm -hmm. they disappear off the radar and you're always left thinking, what happened to them? Yeah. And it's, the answer is nearly exclusively wrong environment. Yeah. So um, yeah. we should wrong, be measuring the wrong, environment. Wrong place, right people, etc. So that became my speciality. How do you measure the fit of an individual to environment and refining it to get it as quick as possible? Let's have it back to the 16-year-old Christian. Mm, what a guy. What a guy. So <laughs> what, what I'm... What, <laughs> So wow, okay. And maybe he, yeah, the the current version is, but he was more of a dick. So the reason I'm I'm stepping back to that age is that I've got teenage kids, mm -hmm. um, and from what we're seeing today is that kids are growing up on social media. They're seeing instant gratification. They believe they turn eighteen, they can be a TikTok star and drive a Ferrari in a week. Yeah. Um, the reason why I'm talking to people like yourself is to actually give some understanding that you're now 25? Give or, give or take uh, 20 years, yeah. 45? Yeah. 45, okay, and that's that's a good long period of time to have a, an understanding of good, bad, indifference, mm. and even today, you're probably not where you'd like to be, potentially. Well, no but, one should be, but you're on a, But you're on, a, you're, on the, you're on the journey with what you're doing now. Yeah. So the 16-year-old Christian, I don't think I'm saying this next bit, is a dick. Yes. Um, what did the 16-year-old Christian want to do at the end of his GCSEs? Uh, I finished my A-levels at 17 because I was the youngest in my year. I was in a, an intake where I was an August baby, and so I, I was early so to that. Proper A-levels. dick. Yeah, proper dick. <laughs> Absolutely. What did he want to do? I, I don't know whether I, I wanted to, like probably a lot of kids at that age, just wanted to earn a lot of money. I didn't know what that meant or why. And I wanted to um, be in sport. I wanted to do something to do with sport. Probably latent fa family issues in my mind would have, would have geared me towards psychology and trying to understand patterns of behavior. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I had uh, a family, quite a mi my mother's French, my father's Irish. Uh, it was quite an um, emotional family, shall we say. So okay. I, I was, had an interest in, well, why, did, why did that happen? Like, how did that evolve into a row, which everything in our household did? So. Um, Probably that was the combination, wanting to learn about people, but I probably wouldn't have articulated it like that. Probably wanted to do something with sport because I was absolutely obsessed with sport and probably wanted to earn a lot of money so I could have a fast car. That would have been <laughs> the extent of my ambition. So would you say at that age it was a enjoyable period, quite difficult, or were you just kind of in that middle ground going, I don't know what's next? Yeah, I found that phase very difficult. Uh, I wasn't, I was quite introverted at that point okay. in my life, and I was probably more analytical than most of my peer group, which didn't really help me in social situations. Uh, so I hadn't found my home at that stage, and I think for about two or three years, I bumbled around sort of recruitment and, and sort of didn't really know what to do. And one of the, the problems with recruitment back then was you could earn reasonable money, which would... Um, compensate for the mm. fact that you were doing something potentially that you didn't enjoy and, uh, and I'm not suggesting for one second that recruitment isn't enjoyable but for me I didn't enjoy it yeah, yeah. yet I was getting paid well so there's a sort of conflicting experience versus uh, this isn't what I want to do but I'm getting rewarded quite well what, how do I make sense of that okay and then so where was the what was the kind of did you always know you wanted to go to university yes although I didn't like academic study I wasn't good at oh actually that's not quite true I wasn't in a school that promoted being good at school, if you know what I mean. My friends group thought it was very uncool to be good at the school. And I was very good at school at 12, 13, 14. And then I learned, oh, I shouldn't really be trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> all, my, all my friends think I'm an idiot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can, I, I can relate to that period. It's, it's, people, the kids feel it's very uncool, especially at our age, to actually do well. Uh, and failure was kind of a, uh, a tick, yeah. rather than a negative to a degree. And you either decided to stand alone and know that your long-term future was going to be guided by yourself, or you ran with the pack 
and you did whatever they did. Yeah, Does that make sense? For sure, I can give you an example. I can remember going to France because my, my mother's side of the family being sent over there at about 11 on my own to go and live with my French cousins. And I was supposed, I don't know how long I was supposed to be there, but I think it was like six months plus. And I came back within three weeks. But even in those three weeks, when I came back to the French lesson in my school, I was probably a, a year ahead of right, the okay. curriculum. And I can remember consciously making mistakes in my language and, and, and grammar work so that I fitted in, which is a wow. really bad okay. indictment of the British schooling system or my schooling. So you did, did, did you have GCSEs or straight to A levels? Not that old. Yeah. No, that's what I was trying to say. Because you said A-levels twice. And we never yeah, I did GCSEs. We never did GCSEs. So like, I can't remember the exact age, but yeah, I did GCSEs. 16, yeah. I got my GCSEs. But were they, were they at what you should have got? No. As you said, oh, you obviously no. had the, the, the capability of doing it. Well, I think so, yeah. And subsequently, I, you know, when I did my, my degree in psychology, I, I did very, very well. Well, relative to my performance at GCSE, so so my point, my, my point is, is not to say that you failed at your GCSE. But my point is that whatever trying to discuss today is that you're not defined by that moment. Absolutely not. No. And that's the point I'm trying to get across here. Not to say I don't want to know your numbers. It doesn't really matter. But I think the hard bit, uh, the risk of going into a topic that probably isn't the main focus of, of course today is we with the way our sort of educational system is set up. And I've got two young kids going yeah. through it. It's, it gears us towards exam performance and not interest, and I yeah. don't know what the answer is, but once I found my interest, which was psychology, everything became easier. Once I genuinely was fascinated by what I was doing, and it was a real lesson throughout my life, mm. is being interested in what you're doing is very important to how you enjoy your life. So on that note, how did you then fall into going, right, I'm gonna to go to university and go down the psychology route. What, what, was, that, what was that moment, what was that spark? How did that happen? Uh, I think the first thing that I studied before I did my degree, actually, I did a couple of diplomas. I've, I've just been on this constant study for about 20 years now, but my first thing I studied was um, uh, cognitive visualisation, which was something that was happening in sport. Yeah. And there was a basketball group that was doing There was a study about a basketball group, one of the NBA teams, and they were uh, practising baskets. And I don't know whether you've heard of this study. It's, it's good 20 years ago, but... Okay. Um, they got the basketball players to visualise hitting a basket in the changing room, not on the court, no physical action at all. It was in a sort of meditative state, let's call mm -hmm. it that. And miraculously, it had an impact on their um, conversion rates and how often they, they actually hit the basket in real time. And so there was this sort of moment in sport where, what? Yeah. How can visualisation be useful? Now, it's very, very common. And the reason for that, they, I think they link it back to, to, to neural networks and, and muscle memory and things mm -hmm. like that. But it's... It's the idea that you can rehearse things in your mind and it has an impact on your performance. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. How do I, how do I learn about that stuff, shit? <laughs> so let's, let's start with them. That was 25 years ago, call it. Mm -hmm. or, maybe, or maybe longer. Let's go with the technology. What was the ability to actually research and find this information? Because let's be fair, the most thing I remember from being in recruitment and having the internet was uh, random things you'll search, let's be honest here, that you shouldn't be. Yeah, uh, because, I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. What would um, that be? Uh, I think it was uh, like recruitment websites. That was what we were searching yes. at the time. Yeah, obviously uh, we had fast internet in the offices, and that's all we could really find. You know. Yeah. And who wouldn't I don't want know what to spend time what, reading what, about what, that? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> Career decision making. Yeah. I think that's. That's what. Sure, 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 Okay, we'll carry on from there. So what? So was it? Was it? Videos, or was it something you introduced to? How, how did that? How did you find that? Because it wouldn't be just like Google it now. No. So we, what were we talking about? Probably in the two thousands. Mm -hmm. uh, how did I find it? I think it was through networks. It was like who? Who's, I was always interested in the stuff on the fringe, like the, what, what I guess would have been called innovation. But I think I just went through my networks. I had a range of people who were in sport. I had a range of people who were in the sort of learning and development space. I had a couple of psychology psychologists. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And and that got me to I think it was called the Quest Institute, which is where I studied, and it was fascinating. And then that set on a journey. I then sort of did counselling qualifications, hypnotherapy, which clinical hypnotherapy, which is very different to stage. And then it was like right, I need I need psychology. I need to become a psychologist, and so I started a psychology degree. So I went through your LinkedIn and actually found your qualifications. The other one that was on there was where you had a GCE in art. Is that right? I think that was on there as well. <laughs> 
I've got one in um, mechanical engineering, uh, so that's wrong. astrophysics, and hairdressing. So have I, have I taken that from Only Fools and Horses? I, and, um... I don't think there's a GCE <laughs> in a, they did O level in painting MS Draw. <laughs> so everything you've done is psychology based. Yep. You went through university, yep. as you said, there you got first class honours. I did, yeah. Uh, with distinctions, is that right? Mm-hmm. And you did your diploma in cognitive hypnotherapy counselling diploma. Yeah. With CBT, cognitive hypnotherapy counselling. I was doing a doctorate in psychology, which I've had to pause whilst I'm doing this business. Oh, Otherwise, okay. uh, you'd be talking to the real deal. It goes a lot higher, the expenses, when it's <laughs> Dr. Christian Hughes. Wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> You didn't yeah. pay for my parking today, so I've, got you, I've caught you right at the right time. Yeah, just did the point where the inflection point well, everything, could actually be there. a big deal one day. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you dealt with, so that's past university, you've dealt with obviously high-performing teams. Mm -hmm. um, you had Crystal Palace down as one of those teams. <laughs> well, I think for the budget, their work was extraordinary. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, tactically, if you look at it on the pitch, it's pretty boring. We were a season ticket holder. Maybe I shouldn't say that's unfair because I, I do actually really have a lot of time for Crystal Palace. Wonderful club and wonderful people behind the scenes. Um, I mean, the, the tactical Roy Hodgson model was not necessarily the most exciting, but, you know. They, it's done the job. They've done the job and they, it's pragmatic. It's done the job. So in that period up to, obviously, starting the My People group, mm -hmm. which year was that? It's 2014? Yes, I think we got funding in 2019, so from 2014 to 2019 was hard grind years. Okay, so what was that moment, so what was the job you were in at the time when the spark clicked for my people, when, when was that moment? Uh, so I'd had a, a, a range of consultancy work for a long time with, with teams and in lots of different environments and they were all sort of suffering the same problem. And I, I landed in a role with a company that was going through big organisational change. It was in the, the sort of wine industry, had about 2,000 employees. Mm -hmm. And they were looking at productivity. And I started to think, hang on a second, this is sort of connected to some of the stuff that I've done in sport. This is quite interesting. The terminology is different, but this is quite interesting. And then realising there was no data supporting any selection of anybody. And this, to me, was you know, like the Wild West. It's arbitrary, basically, at this point. Yeah, this person seems to be able to do it. Let's try them. Uh, and to me, that was like, wow, there's no risk management here at all. So that was the point where I thought, I wonder if we could do something here. And then there was a long period of time of trying to translate everything that I'd done into, into business, which was arduous. Uh, okay. And working with private equity firms is a, um, was a unique experience for me. I hadn't experienced that before. You know, a lot of it was, well, all of it was driven so much by financial output and um, I learned the hard way you have to translate subjective inputs to objective inputs all the way through to this will make you money here yeah, this yeah. is where you're going to see it and that was useful training to be honest okay so thought came in how can I transfer the knowledge of the hiring person to the people they're looking for to actually take it from a more human related Perspective, is that a good way of putting it? Yeah, I call it fit first. Fit first. So what year was that? When when did it kind of come to you to say, I want to do this? Well, it didn't start like that, to be fair, because the first need from the, 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 the private equity company was, we want to restructure. We want to cut 30% of our workforce. Can you tell us what how how much can we cut by? Oh, wow. So it was, it was pretty brutal. Uh, and the whole HR department of this company sort of left because they didn't want to be involved in this at all. Okay. And I was the data guy going, uh, so what, uh, what, what do you want from me here? Um, and that translated over a period of time into, into what my people was, which was a, a tool to help you fit an individual into a team. It's basically designed to answer the question, how will this person perform in my environment? Okay, so I didn't realise until that point that your whole piece was at my people, which is obviously a positive business, actually mm. started out as a negative transaction yeah. of how you fire humans. It's more mm, how sorry. many you could fire. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> like, we, we want to cut the business to X. What can it run on? What's the leanest position it could run on? Uh, which is you know, pretty dispiriting starting. There's <laughs> <laughs> not a question any wow. human should be answering. Okay. And that then, and you were being used from the data point of view 
was any of your psychology and that background incorporated in that point, or was it just purely numbers, figures, etc.? Yeah, mainly numbers. It's very black and white, yeah. transactional, yeah. cut as required. Yeah. Wow, that's depressing. How do we how do we make this motivating <laughs> again, Christian? Okay. Well, out of that gloom <laughs> came a focus on well. Why are we having to cut? And some of that is economic, and some of that's timing with a private equity buying firm. But a big chunk was we've hired a ton of people who are not performing. So how do we mitigate against that in the future? Or how do we improve this scenario? Not just for for the organisation, but for the candidate. I mean, who wants to take a job where mm. where they're not going to be able to perform? So let's let's slightly bring that to the present world. You've now got most major technology businesses firing mm. at will. I've seen it once before in my career on the levels they are at the moment. Probably have seen it, but not in my yeah. eye line. Is there, a, uh, is there a, a problem in the actual industries we work in where they are literally selling the dream to the investors that they are hiring, which shows growth, and then just firing to, gra- to raise the share price just to obviously again that makes sense? Yeah, there's a maturity curve, isn't there, in, in tech? And obviously having a tech business, I get some exposure to this, mm. whereby the first set of metrics that any investor group, whether that's a PE, VC, or, or private investor, will drive is what's your revenue number. And that's where valuations are mm-hmm. commonly in tech. You're not driving off an EBITDA number, you're driving off a revenue number. So what does that drive in terms of behavior? Well, then you're looking at building and adding people to drive that revenue number, and you're ignoring profitability entirely because you're bringing a lot of headcount. Yeah. The next phase of, of that becomes, as you saw with, or we saw with, say, Deliveroo is a great mm-hmm. example, whereby they get a, a mega valuation, and the next set of pressures become, well, it's not sustainable. No. You, how do we... How do we um, effectively make this business profitable, which then is headcount cost and or price rises. Uh, and does the market hold that? If not, then it's more headcount loss. And so you get this really unstable period uh, once you've got a sort of revenue growth position in, in play. Okay, interesting. So let's take it back to the positive then. <laughs> so you've gone through that career point. You're now at this stage where my people is a, a viable opportunity. So... There's three elements we'll go to next. Very okay. simple, which is the, the what is my people, the how does it work, and the why. And the why can't be money-related. Yeah, no, my, mine isn't. Uh, yeah. So let's start with the, the what. What is my people, Christian? Thank you for asking me that, Paul. That's um, a really good to, question. We're, we're five hours in. Yeah, we're <laughs> five, five hours in, 16 beers in. Yeah. I've never given that a single thought as to what my people is. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, let me try and be serious for a second. So, my people is a software platform designed for uh, recruitment companies, RPO companies, MSP, staffing agencies. And it is a tool designed to assess or evaluate, it's probably a better phrase, the fit of an individual to a team. And there's a couple of components here. We believe in a concept called sustainable diversity. And the, the, there's a big trend at the moment to drive uh, more diverse workforces. That is an important uh, social agenda, and it is incredibly important from a performance perspective because we see this in academia or academic research that um, high-performing teams tend to have more diverse people in, in the team. And, and I don't, I'm not really talking about ethnicity or gender here in exclusivity. I'm more talking about cognition, experience, background, and the whole principle really is a simple one, which is that drives more ideas and more input. That's the theory. The, the problem is that isn't the end of the story. Mm. The second part of the story is about belonging, which is you've got to feel connected with your group and feel aligned to your group, whatever that group is, whether that's a societal group, company or business. So the, the second part is how is this person going to fit with the shared values of the team? So what my people enables you to do is say, this person's going to fit into this team. Here's what they're going to contribute. Here's how they're going to marry up to the values of the team. And for a hiring manager, here's the set of questions that you might want to focus on at interview so that we get a better outcome at interview. So from the point of view of the, the actual product itself, 
Uh, was, was it, is it 210,000 job types in there at the moment, or is it more now? 40,000 job profiles, so you can measure the fit of an individual to a role. So 40,000. And the fit models. of an individual to an existing team or company. Deploy Recruitment Group provides fast and reliable recruitment across the UK and overseas. We source, screen and deliver quality skilled individuals to meet your business requirements. Using our extensive database, market knowledge, network and latest software, we provide access to specialised talent and address your industry's core challenges. Plan, supply and deliver safely. For more information, please visit our website, deployrecruit.com. And then from that point of view, that marries off that part. Yep. So I bought the software. Yep. I've Great choice. Signed over. Well done. I've given you the money. Yes. Which uh, we have actually done in my business. Um, we'll go into that bit in a bit. Um, so how does it work? You've paid you lots of money. So is it a per assessment basis? Is it a per business? How does that work? Depends a little bit on the way the organization's operating, but for a, a recruitment company, they get a, their own portal. It can mm -hmm. be branded um, in their own branding. They can then use that with all of their clients on an unlimited basis. And okay. effectively, you could think of it as a way of influencing the interview process, giving you a better odds of getting an interview and getting a candidate to offer stage because we're surfacing where the differences are. We're focusing the hiring manager's uh, view and interview format around the questions that you're supplying. So you're taking control over a variable that before would have just, you know, it's 50-50 which way it could go. Okay. Now we're skewing it in our favor. And you, you can, all of this is for self-service with a supporting team from my people that can provide all the background and info. So I always look at it as I'm a, uh, I'm a junior recruiter, my companies are going, well, we just signed up to this brand new bit of kit, like a lot of recruiters, companies do, and let's be honest here, we're not very good at explaining why we're doing it, let's be honest, and we just go get on with it. How would you pitch this to a recruiter who goes, it's another bit of kit? You know, what's the benefits to me and my clients? Well, I think there's a really nice USP here for a young recruiter in that you want to drive a more consultative relationship with your client. If it's transactional, they could pick up the phone to anybody and mm -hmm. you're one of 20 different recruiters who happen to be on the other end of the phone and it's, what, what's your difference between you and the, and the next person? Here, what you're saying is not, not only is it um, reducing the risk for a client and it creates better retention, it's showing that you're interested in the candidate beyond the point of placement, it's given a better candidate experience and for you as the recruiter it's giving you some tools to actually talk in a more consultative manner with your client so you're elevating your relationship with your client to something more than just here's a cv here's a body you're saying that these are the scientific insights that we can provide you to help you make a better decision mr and mrs hiring manager so client a has done the um questionnaire what would you call it? Evaluation, but I don't like the word assessment because that implies failure, with, you know, right or wrong, which it isn't. Okay. It's more about personality preferences and team preferences. And how many questions is that for the client? Good question. I think it's about 54 statements, so they okay. grade them. And is that a grade of what, 1 to 10, 1 yeah. to 5, yeah. 1 to 10? 10. 10 okay, obviously 10 being highest, 1 being yeah. lowest. And, and they're looking to do it as a quick fire off the top it of their head. about 5 minutes. Yeah. 5 your minutes. Phone. Okay, 5 minutes. So I've done... Fire, OB, or whichever one it is, and I've done like three uh, different cycles. PQ missions. Gold, yeah, yeah. OBCR. OBCR, yeah. and um, I don't know if it was really good. Really, really good. Oh my God, it was like three hours of my life nope. yeah, gone away. And like I say, it was very condensed, very accurate. Um, I, got, I, I think I read it through, and I, I think I was going to jump off a cliff at one point because it, uh, it, was, it was very yeah. brash and harsh. Um, that talking about your musical taste. <laughs> Shania Twain and um, Do you know what? Beyonce. I've, I've lost all credibility on that one. Ever. I'm just going to walk that back, that comment. So, my point about it is, is that they're very thorough and from a business owner's point of view, they're very expensive. Yeah. And the problem is, is that you go to a client and one customer will have one view, they would like to go down this route yeah. of... Um, uh, psychometric testing and another one to go I'm not really that interested and the reason generally is is that A they know it's long winded B is going to cost a fortune and C if it goes wrong one off they're never going to use it again yep. so I think I think for myself personally what ticks a lot of boxes as people will know me very well I am tight 
Uh, B, it's got to be cost effective, and C, it's got to be make sense and quick for people to understand. I, I say to people, explain to me as if I'm a six-year-old. Mm. If I can understand it very basic, the rest of my team will get it. Definitely. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we're trying to democratise psychometrics. Psychometrics are good, but you've got to make them quick. <laughs> you can't have a three-hour layer in the recruitment process, no. and you can't charge per candidate because that's going to cost a bomb mm. what you want is that information early doors really simple no giant report just here's where they fit here's where you might want to focus in your questions and that's enough to get the conversation moving so as your clients build theirs in recruiter gets that resolved back he then says okay i need let's call it a, uh, a designer at this stage goes out to the candidates goes puts it on job specs asks for the cvs back in and then they've started this process with the candidate with the yeah. candidate again how many questions is the candidate? same okay same about about five minutes on the phone and once they've done it once they don't have to do it again and that okay. data is in the system which is quite a unique position in comparison to most psychometrics which you'd have to do them again and again and again for each job here it's one time okay and that's it and then the system does all the heavy lifting it says look here's how their personality is likely to work in this role here's what they bring and here's how it's going to work within the team uh, and give some guidance on what to do next Okay, so if someone's not 100% match and it says ask further, is it a set of questions that are delivered by the system or by the hiring manager themselves? So the system will suggest them on screen and then you can export that to the hiring manager. Okay. Um, but they're typically designed for interview at, by the hiring manager. Okay. So it's a good piece of toolkit for the, the hiring manager as well. Yeah, and I, I think it, it, it's trying to remove time from the hiring manager's point of view because you know even even us as recruiters we don't get it right all the time let's be honest here stop it well you do one. you do you wow. do but not all recruiters wow using your system i've just sacked half the business <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what i would have oh, wanted okay yeah. this, is, this, is, this is how that's happened yeah, this uh, is so good yeah i've saved a fortune in 24 hours I'm back in 2014 <laughs> <laughs> But so from, from our point of view as a business using it, what we've done ourselves is look at the internal piece. And it, it, I think I spoke to you about it briefly, but what we've found is that instead of going, okay, this, they're not quite right how we should have probably hired them in, it gives us a really good opportunity to actually look at it and go, well, if they've got weaknesses, have we actually addressed that as a business? Um, should we be spending more time with them? Uh, and you know, is it us that needs to change rather than the person we've hired? So it's a really nice opportunity as a business to overview our actual current team and give them a view that, all right, you're not quite fit for purpose on paper. You've worked for us for eight, nine years. Have we just put you to one side and gone, it's all right, you're, you're doing okay. Does that make well, sense? Yeah, absolutely. We had a lovely client story recently, which I thought was fascinating. And they were about a 40 person recruitment business looking to scale to 70. Um, I think they were in tech, tech recruitment and, um, they had an exercise where all of their hiring managers internally completed this. Yep. And they then did sort of the, high, the highest performers all went through the, as a candidate. So effectively they had two sides, the directors completing as hiring managers and the, the, existing, the you know, existing employees completing, high performers completing as, uh, as, as candidates. And there was this amazing correlation across all the high performers, although they were entirely different in the way they did the job. So for example, one person was hugely service-led and had this phrase, um, service before profit and at the other end of the spectrum they had a guy who was purely motivated by deals and mm -hmm. money both high performers and but what sort of glued them together was a sense of purpose there was a yeah. massive reason why they were doing this and this came out in all their results and so they were able to say right there's three non-negotiables when we're hiring and one was purpose one was results orientated so that result could be the client is happy or it yeah. could be I've done a deal it didn't matter what the result is it matters how results orientated you were and I think customer service was sort of the third. So they created their profile off the back of that and huge increase now in terms of the, the retention and the speed to productivity they're getting out of new hires. Because I think as recruiters, we're kind of, as someone said earlier, we're kind of the, the best and worst of the, of, the, of the kind of what we do because we're really good at advising our clients yep. on what they need and what they should have. We're very convincing on that. But we're very bad sometimes, I am personally, at how we actually hire for ourselves yeah. uh, and structuring that process. Um, so I'm kind of <clears throat> taking your, your, your system as a, as a point of view that if we can get it right, then we can actually probably be better yeah. advising our own clients because we actually understand ourselves and as a business on how we're growing, 
which then should give confidence to the client that we have the best interests at heart for them and the people they're bringing on. Obviously, before you mentioned about um, EDI, we, we touched on briefly. Um, and again, do you feel that my, the my, my People system could just remove that grey area of why people are not getting interviewed because of potentially their, their name or their background, potentially, or, or their culture, let's call it? Yeah, it's... Um it's very difficult, I suppose. If you if you think a little bit about the hiring manager, or have it from the hiring manager's perspective, if someone said to you, we want to drive X diversity agenda, I don't, I don't know what that might be. Um, how, how do you do that? Like, mm. Yes, there are things you can do with your talent pool, and yes, you could um, look at that relative to where you're hiring, but now we're in a more global way of hiring where people work from home. Yeah. It's much harder to say, well, we're recruiting from this geography, and within that geography, here's what the demographic looks like. It's not quite as simple as that anymore. So it's a very difficult scenario that you're faced with as a hiring manager because the other side of this is they've got to be able to do the job. Yeah. If, no matter how much diversity we bring in, if someone can't do the job, then that's going to be problematic also. Correct. So that's where I think the My People tool can fit in. It can give you a non-biased um, focus on individual personality traits, behaviours and values rather than where they come from or um, yeah, how they how they approach the world. So that's where it becomes useful, I think, from a, a DE&I perspective. So if they remove the word from interest, Shania Twain, <laughs> um, Beyonce and Aha, yeah. um, they've probably got a really good opportunity going forwards. That's the sweet I, I spot. Think, I think we're looking at this the wrong way. You put that into the computer, chat GBT, I bet we get something amazing. Interesting. Okay. Who so are artists like? Well, no, 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 I wasn't even going to chat about that side, but... What's your views on ChatGPT and um, basically the, the, the future of not just hiring, but education? What, what, you, know, you can cheat your way, let's be honest, to mm. a CV now. Yeah, I mean, mega. I mean, in my discipline, which is probably the only one I'm, I'm competent enough to at least have a view on, uh, it's psychometrics can be falsified by ChatGPT. It can complete an answer in any which way you want in order to get an outcome, which is mad. Uh, and the same goes for setting them up. You can create a, a psychometric that's biased to recruit certain types of people, which is mad as well. So, yeah, for, for me, it's it's useful because ours is about preferences. So you can't chat GBT can't do anything about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but for traditional psychometrics, it's it's real problematic. So, what we're saying is, from your point of view, yours sits as a, a neutral. Right. Okay. It's about what someone is interested in, which you, I mean, you. Could try and fake I guess but whereas psychometric is designed especially when you're talking about things like cognitive reasoning verbal mm. reasoning which are more about mental uh, acuity a, a psychometrics designed to attest how someone performs against the norm group chat GBT can can do that you say I want a 1% performance you know, top leader in the world go it can cre create that outcome in a psychometric which is bad I mean so then the why yes why, why Christian I nearly forgot about the why why Christian well, perhaps we could take it all the way back to 2014 and that restructure. I mean, what a waste. Uh, and maybe you could look at the world through the lens of experience and it doesn't matter. As long as you're grabbing experience, you're learning and growing, theoretically. But for me, I just thought, wouldn't it be better if we had some understanding of the person, a bit more of a human-centred approach to recruitment, just looking at the schools, which was much more prevalent back in those days, of where someone had come from, biased me, because I didn't come from a good school. In fact, really bad school. And... You know, my degree is not from a particularly uh, famous university or anything like that. So it annoyed me, the idea that you could have people with um, different starting points and different backgrounds who are disadvantaged just because of their starting point, um, educationally. So why my people sort of came to be, the bigger mission is, well, we want to put the human back at the forefront of the recruitment process. And no matter how much technology there is in the world, you're still having to in interact with humans in a team. Whatever environment you're in, Every one of us knows what it feels like to be in a team where you think, I hate it here. And I want to make that feeling go away as much as possible. Okay, it's a good answer. I didn't expect that to be a good answer, to be honest. Like, it is a good answer. As I started, I thought, can I get, Sh <laughs> <laughs> can I get Shania Twain into this answer? Well, <laughs> <laughs> she has featured a lot in this. Uh... <laughs> no, she's... I don't think I've thought about Shania Twain at all until this time today. Well, it's quite interesting. So actually, one of the final questions was, um, what would you like your uh, theme tune or out song to be? But I don't need to ask that anymore because we've just 
found that sweet spot of uh, yeah. Shania Twain, man, I feel like a woman. I think if we go with that as the outro and then we reconvene in 10 years' time <laughs> and if I haven't made a significant transition to a new gender, well, it's all going to make sense in 10 years. Well, you, you could actually identify as Sh Shania Twain. <laughs> Is that possible? A Jedi version? A Jedi version of Shania Twain. That would be the dream. So we're at the point of my people being up and running. Mm -hmm. um, how many recruiters or how many businesses are you working with at the moment? Yeah, approximately 60. We just had quite an exciting moment now where we've just signed a deal with the largest RPO company in the world for them to use our technology, which is That's really useful. cool. Um, yeah, there's about 12, 13 of us in the business. I think looking to double in size in terms of people this year. Okay. Um, and are you using your own tests? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which no. is harder than you think. It's a bit like the plumber's leaky taps, you know, or recruiters recruiting recruiters. It's um, it's tricky when it's your own business, right? Well, and it's also when you've got a software you're you're selling to the market space yeah. as being the way forwards. Yeah. And if you didn't use it, <laughs> it's, 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 well, it's a funny thing because we I went through in we took on a head of sales. I don't know what nearly a year ago, and we went through the process with the software. And I was the hiring manager, of course, for the purposes of this process. And when the results came back, I still had that moment of, oh, wow, that's so our team. And that is so the values of this team. That's amazing. Even though we created it. And I know that's a bit wanky, but it, I, I, the other part of my head went, well, who, who did you expect it to be? You filled it in, you twat. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got growth expectations. Uh, are you purely looking at the UK or are you looking overseas? Yeah, looking at international markets, in discussions about sort of global distribution at the moment. Um, as with any business, it's, uh, you know, there's moments you're crossing the void where you're trying to expand at the same time as you're trying to um, make sure you're doing what the basics of your job well. So and I think that applies to every growing business. So interestingly, if you're going overseas, are you then having to potentially look at tailoring the proposition due to the different cultures, yep. backgrounds, and needs of a country? Uh, the system does that automatically anyway because of the way the inputs are structured. But yes, there's language in transitions. We'd have to have language versions. Um, yes, there's different sort of emphasis on sort of DE&I, for example, in the US is very, very big, and, and diversity as a whole, I think. Whilst it's a big agenda globally, it's a, it's a very big agenda in the States. Um, so... I mean that, and that works. You know, that's, that's great in a way because we can we're contributing in that area. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> Six. You have to. <laughs> not, Shania Twain was the answer. I mean, we always got there the answer. There's always the answer. What would Shania Twain the, do? The, the, <laughs> that's a good one, actually. The the question was very much on global growth, but from a business point of view, no. What does it look like in five years' time? Does the is is it completely automated into every process? Is that where you'd like it to That would be it? my dream. I, I mean, I have, I suppose dreams, you don't have to qualify them, right? And that it's just a dream. But if, if I had my ideal world, this would be normalized. And I, I talk about psychometrics becoming democratized, which is a bit of a big phrase, but it just means that it's so normal. Everyone does this. And you think you have that moment where you think, why didn't we, this is such a simple idea. Why didn't we do that before? There's so many moments in time with things like that that you think, why didn't someone do this before? Yeah, yeah, but is there a scary moment, and this is going into the future, where your system is used in conjunction with, say, AI, mm. and then you have the situation where its computer says no? Mm. Is that is that kind of been thought about? Or yeah, that... I, I really didn't want a system philosophically that said no. I, I think that's... Because, again, back to the, the starting point of... You know, not disadvantaged starting points, because that, that's not... I would never claim that, but the fact that people could start from... A disadvantaged starting point um, relative to educational opportunities. Uh, I'd hate, therefore, to have a system which effectively compounds what I've been angry about from from a younger age. So, no, the system is designed to understand how people feel about a team and what's important to them, and then what is in existence and whether that marries up. So, do you feel then, as you said, coming from more of a, a disadvantaged background? Wouldn't say. Uh, so, uh, from a, As a white male, I obviously could never <laughs> claim that's, that narrative. Let, let me rephrase that. From a, from a point of view where it, it could have been easier. Yeah, I, I, I suppose the way I'd probably reframe it, because I don't think my, my phraseology was very good, but I, I think probably I had a modicum of intelligence 
and I spent a long time what trying to hide it. What the hell is a modicum? A little bit. Oh, excellent. Why do you say that? I mean, a little bit, a little, little bit. bit. That's brilliant. That makes yeah. my life easier. I, and I'm proving my point. I, <laughs> I don't use words like modicum <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Maybe that's maybe I maybe it's none of this. Maybe I was just a dick. Um, <laughs> maybe I just did not want to so, listen. So you, <laughs> so you're basically saying you're now your 16 year old self, but with new words. Yeah, longer words. That's longer everything words. I wanted. Probably. <laughs> if yeah, I went back to a 16 year old, what I wanted a girlfriend, a car, and being able to say longer words. So have you achieved those now? Uh, she's now my wife. Excellent. That's a good start. <laughs> You have a car? I have a car, yeah. It's uh, you, it's more of a vehicle for carrying children and dogs <laughs> rather than anything that provides me with enjoyment, but hey. But that's really good. And I think we've covered most of everything and the kitchen sink, I think. We've got through a lot there. We have what is this, six, six what, and a half hours? What time is it now? Anyway, I haven't got a watch. I kind of took my watch off. I didn't want to... Uh, what are we into? We are 58 minutes. That's, That's pretty decent, cool, right? Without any stops. That Much was just chaos. one hit, except for the, My the, phone the accountant. Ringing, which I don't think that would be in there. Yeah. Anyway. Do you think your accountant was calling just to say, look, why aren't you working? You should be, based on the numbers. No, this is uh, talking about expansion to the US. So that's why I was intrigued. Ah. On, so a lot of stuff is discussion now. What you do on that. Okay, so final thoughts. Okay. So on a Jerry Springer style, mm. final thoughts. Summation. <laughs> the what summation? Sorry, summation. Summary. Summary. Thank and you. It's this stuff, isn't it? It's this stuff. This is what I'm a dick. Summary. That's, that's lovely. I, I work. You, you haven't met Rob Wandy works with me. He he. He's very similar to yourself. And we look at each other in the office going, "What the fuck is he just said? What I, are you talking what about? What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take that away from this conversation. <laughs> Try to be able to. Have people understand what you're talking about? I say, like I say, talk to me like a six-year-old. Yeah. If I can understand where we're going with things. I'll get it really quickly. Yeah. I'll get it really quickly. So, final thoughts. We've covered everything from a young age through to uh, your, your current proposition, your success. I'd like to call it success. It's, I mean, I, would, I don't know. I don't want to take up too much time here. But I was thinking, back to your point about Instagram, TikTok, yeah. whatever other social media platforms people use to, to show off on. Uh, I was thinking about external success versus internal. Like everybody that I know that's achieved amazing things doesn't think they've achieved amazing things, mm. and I don't mean they're suppressing it and trying to be like, "Oh, I'm pretending to be humble." Yeah, yeah. They genuinely, it's more relief when they achieve. All these sort of Olympic athletes and teams that I've seen win when they get over the line. Yes, there's a celebration, but there's more a sense of thank fuck. Uh, and I, th I think that's what it feels like. You know, when you're straining and pushing, there's a lot more you know, failure and disappointment on the journey than there is wins and the little wins sustain you for a bit but I don't know whether I'd ever feel comfortable thinking about the word success as anything other than transitory you're constantly after the next thing so there was a there's an interesting piece that came up so the I think it's the CEO of Bullhorn uh, did a presentation he classed himself as a introverted extrovert yeah I get which, that which uh, I googled the other day and um I think I'm a little bit that way, and from yeah. what you're discussing, it's very similar, which is regardless of... I, 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 I step that one, so I used to call it recruitment numb, mm -hmm. which is it didn't matter how successful or how busy or how many placements or people we put on the ground, it just didn't feel any excitement. Does that make sense? Well, I, I think there's a big fear that I probably hold, and I, I've seen it in other people, of it can all disappear in a, in a second. That, And I don't know whether that's true or not, but I, I read something about Michael Caine, that he is one of the actors who's worked or been in the most movies uh, of all of the actors. Okay. Um, and he was asked about this, and he was like, I was always afraid it was going to end tomorrow, that you know, I wouldn't get offered another movie part, I wouldn't get... And I, and I have a bit of that, and I think a lot of the, the athletes that I've seen and work with have that in their mind, that fuck, you're only as good as your last deal kind of concept, mm. I suppose, in recruitment terms. It, it's very true, and that fear of, of not, whatever not means, like not having it, not doing it, not achieving, is always high in my mind. So do you think that's what's driven you through and got you through some of the tougher times? I, I think one of the things I liked about Sir Pep Guardiola recently is talking about humility. And people, I think, think of that as something that you have to force on yourself. But I think it's a good psychological mindset. Not humility in downgrading your, your abilities but more, and talking down of yourself, but more knowing that 
it's transitory. Like everything that's great can be not great. You can get, you know, I had a, a scenario over the last couple of years where my wife got very ill. Okay. And, you know, you see in those moments that however great something might be, it can always be taken away. So, you know, what do you do with that? Part of that is about celebration, enjoying the, the great moments. And then the other part is like, just keep grinding, keep improving, keep being curious, keep being interested. And that usually helps. So what would you tell your 16-year-old dick of yourself? <laughs> maybe we've laboured on too much of him, <clears throat> him being a dick. Maybe maybe wasn't. I mean, probably wasn't. I, I think from my personal interaction with yourself, I've not known you that long. Um, I, I believe you come across as someone who's quite genuine, uh, who, who cares, um, and probably thinks about how others uh, can accomplish things rather than actually focus on yourself and probably the achievements you've actually uh, uh, accomplished. Fair yeah, uh, I haven't done the I test on you yet. I'll do that with my I people think, one afterwards. I'm glad I've got you fooled. Uh, I am <laughs> money hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, get, I, I guess so. It's almost to a fault, I suspect. I think I, I, pro I, probably, I probably have had, at various times, more of a struggle being, being kind of grabby and... and you know, there's certain negotiations I can think of the deals that have been structured where I've thought I want them to be all right. And it's been a harsh learning for me coming the other side and going, oh, they didn't approach that discussion in the same way. They, they wanted them to be all right. I wanted them to be all right. And no one thought about me in this process. So I, I still wrestle with that. I still don't know how to do that very often. Okay. But is that more from the point of view of your, your, your uh, ability to actually know what you want to do as the business rather than being the business person? Yes, yeah, perhaps that's a good way of saying it. Like I, I have, there's, there's I, I don't know, I don't want to be too philosophical here, but one of the things that um, I think is quite interesting is drug counselling. And I wanted to be a drug counsellor at one stage because I okay. think this is a really high value I industry. Uh, you know, you, there's a lot of uh, effort that goes into being a drug counsellor. And I learned the hard way. There's a really big difference between the philosophical idea of something and the practical reality because the practical reality of being a drug counsellor is you get the shit kicked. That you, you get mm -hmm. violent page, you know, uh, clients, you get people who just lie to you all the time because they, they need a hit. I'm not trying to you know, say anything bad about drug, mm -hmm. drug in and of itself. I'm just saying that is a common experience for a drug counsellor. And I think it's true in, in, in life. You, know, you can have these big visions of how things are going to be, but the experience of it is grunt, it's grind. It's that 1% pers uh, inspiration, 99% perspiration. And perhaps I'm too pragmatic. There might be more innovative people out there than me, but I think just keep working hard, keep pushing. Now yeah. I'm sounding like a motivational speaker. No, but it's, it's, you know, uh, you've got to be able to have be able to put positives into other people's lives because if you can't motivate them yourself, yeah. then how are they going to follow your vision? How are they actually going to understand what is to be accomplished? Um, what the outcomes are from doing a good job and actually providing a really good service to people? You know, and talking back to drug county, I, I, I unfortunately had to go to, uh, not for myself personally, but I went along to one of my friend's uh, NA classes, mm. Narcotics Anonymous. Mm. And that was a real eye-opener. Yeah, it really a is. A real eye-opener. And then you've got two ends of the, uh, the spectrum from a, a very outside-in look. You've got those that have been horrendously treated throughout their lives and turned to it as an output. Yep. And you've got those who have taken it uh, to abuse and then blame everyone else. Yeah. Uh, so I understand what you're saying. I'm yeah. kicking the, the shit out of your point. And my friend said to me, he said, the problem with, with all addictions is that you hit a high mm -hmm. and then you're trying to match it and beat yeah. it again. Yeah. And that's where I then suddenly understood the addiction part, that you're looking to get that next hit yeah. that matched the highest high you felt before. Yeah. And that could be any addiction. Yeah, totally. And, and that, that really opened my eyes to understanding addiction in a whole and I think a lot of people are addicted in business you know it's the yeah. next deal it's the next whatever is classified as that win moment and you get addicted to that and it's, it's almost mandated in that you, you have to otherwise you don't perform very well so it's such a trade-off I've always struggled I mean again sorry philosophically but the sort of Buddhist idea of being in the moment mm -hmm. is great Except that you, to, to run a business, you've got to be thinking about the future and you've got, you're constantly in different mental time zones going around. Okay, the, the retrospective accounts have got to be delivered. I've got to think about the five-year vision. I've got to be thinking about this and that. You're never in the present. And it's like, how, how do you marry those two? I mean, I don't have the answer. I'm sure wiser people than me do. 
But you must have this all the time, right? Uh, yeah, so I describe it as uh, how do you get off the hamster wheel mm. to uh, replace the motor? Yeah. You know, it's it, it carrying on there. And then the other line I say is uh, I, I pray for calm and all I get is chaos. Yeah. So the, the moment is always there, but you get consumed with every other thing and the kitchen sink. I can't think of how many times I've been on holidays, and, and I've not been on holiday, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I can think of one particular time I was flying out. Uh, we flew to a holiday destination, and we were there for about 24 hours. It was in the Balearics, and then I had to fly back for a client meeting, and then fly back all on the same day. And then I did that twice on the holiday. So over a, a seven-day holiday, I think I was there like two days yeah what is the point what is the point and i i still don't know how the end of titanic happened right i I had to go and take calls and i still don't know how titanic finished yeah it just sells off it sells off yeah yeah it's all fine well that's made me feel jack and rose get married (laughs) have loads of kids that makes me feel a lot better now that's a fantastic ending Uh, leonardo DiCaprio's shaved head Uh, I'm, i'm glad we met and shania twain sung at the wedding she well, that's where it started to go wrong. Yeah, they had a threesome. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. So, yeah. wow! And let's finish yeah, on that on that bombshell. On that bombshell. <laughs> Take us down quite a dark path. So, <laughs> so we have to not finish. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Have you got any podcast you're doing yourself at the moment? Oh, there you go. Goodness, without that prompt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would never have thought to mention it. Uh, so I have uh, the Building Great Teams podcast, which is looking at some of the best sporting teams over the last 20 years and talking to those involved to understand what, what are the things that happened? How did you do it? Uh, and yeah, we've got two episodes out. There's another five to go in the series. Okay. The last episode just came out with shocking sound quality, but if you can get past the ambulances going on in the background, the content's quite interesting. Okay. Well, Christian, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. To find out more about Christian's business, please go to mypeoplegroup.com or go to LinkedIn and find Christian Hughes. If you want to find more about myself or follow me, I'm also on LinkedIn as Paul Smith. There is a lot of us on there. Good luck in finding me. Till next time.